Hello, and welcome to I Am Dad Podcast with your fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. 30 minutes of wisdom, information, resources, and nuggets to help you on your fatherhood journey. Or maybe you're just curious and want to hear some real talk about fatherhood, family, and the minds of men. Well, guess what? We got you too. Sit back, grab your pad and pen, and maybe even bring a little something to sip on. Enjoy 30 straight minutes of fatherhood, family, and fun with the fatherhood authority. Kenneth Braswell. Hello and welcome to I Am Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. Thank you for joining us again on a Sunday morning. I am appreciative of each and every one of you. Thank you so much for all of your emails, your text messages. The one thing y'all slacking on, though, is comments. Like, what's up? Like, y'all, my numbers in terms of who's listening to the show is going up, 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 up. But don't nobody ever say anything. So I don't know how it's resonating. I'm going to assume since the numbers is going up, something is resonating but give a brother some something give me let me know what you're thinking what you what you think about what you heard what you want to hear like everybody text messages me and inboxes me no i need to see that stuff in the comments of the podcast because it helps with the algorithms y'all come on roll with me here Let, give, give me something you know so we can uh, make sure that this thing gets big you know it has been our intention you know to really you know, find our own niche in this space of um, the podcast world and what exactly are we going to talk about that's different from um, what everybody else is talking about out there and what people are focused on. And it was, you know, my intention specifically so I'm because I'm so deeply in the work that I really wanted to elevate the voices of people in the responsible fatherhood field, those of us who are toiling our practitioners, so that I create something that is actually an educational tool for everybody else who's out there having these conversations, you know, whether or not whatever the subject matter is, so that they're understanding, because it's crazy, a lot of folks, the guys that I get interviewed by on podcasts, don't even know that there's a responsible father field. They don't even know that there's people out here that's actually doing it. How, like, how do you not know that? But I get it. I get it. And so, but this dude that I got on the line right now, um, Dr. Adolph, he is the man. So I sat on, I have the pleasure of being on his podcast, probably, I think it was last year I was on his podcast. Um, this brother is a real doctor. He ain't like Dr. Dre. You know, or you know, <laughs> or Dr. J. He's a real deal doctor. Um, he's a he's got his PhD in English and African diaspora studies um, at the University of Missouri, Columbia. His dissertation centered on fatherhood narratives and the hip hop lyricism. I can't wait to have this conversation with this brother because I was just talking about this the other day. He received his MA from the University of Missouri, Columbia in 2009 and his BA in English with a minor in Africana Studies from Central Missouri State University in May of 2005. And he has an incredible podcast um, helping fatherless fathers create called The Fatherhood. And I'm gonna get on him in a minute because he has a word in there that gives me a visceral reaction every time I see it. But I'm explaining to him, I'm schooling him a little bit today. I know he ain't gonna change okay. his name. I know he ain't gonna change it, but I'm gonna make him think about it every time he looks at it. Doc, how you doing, sir? Yo, I'm doing great, man. He's dope. <laughs> <laughs> and like like uh like uh brother brass will say y'all getting those comments man y'all know black people we call the response when, we, when you say amen you better get ready Give to put up. preach yeah. it 
My pastor Say always amen. says, you know, my pastor said, I'm preaching better than y'all amen in. What's up? I need right, some amen exactly. Somebody wave a handkerchief or, you know, come up and throw a dollar on the floor. Or give me something. Let me know something's resonating with you. And exactly. so <laughs> I knew I was going to have a fun show with you. So I just want, let's get into this thing, bro. But listen, I do want to, because every time I see it, I'm like, Ugh. I know okay. what they're trying to say. But it's it's driving me crazy, and it's just, okay. So I, I need to hear you ready? this. So you ready? Hey, I'm ready for it. I need to hear it. Is this word fatherless? Mm, right. Okay. I'll tell you why. And my mm. man actually, my man Eugene actually wrote a book, and he has it on his front cover. And he 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 um sent the book to me. And he read it, and I read it. And I'm like, man, you got an awesome story. I got one problem, bro. I said, you got a word on the front cover that is just driving me crazy. I get what you're trying to say, but right. we have to start thinking about being literal in our conversation as a result, as it relates to fatherhood, because certain words mean certain things to certain people. And I said, let me explain to you why that word drives me crazy. It drives me crazy because there is no such thing as a fatherless child. 100% of all biological children in this world has a father. The question right, isn't right. if he exists. The question is where he exists. But if you keep saying to children that he doesn't exist, they buy in to a narrative that their father doesn't exist, which is what perpetuates the hole in their soul because they believe that that thing that they really need doesn't exist. And we got to stop telling children that their father doesn't exist, that your whole life is going to be designed around trying to fill that hole. And the reason that you do that is because he does exist. The other reason is because I don't want other men to perpetuate the conversation amongst children that they're caring for because their father is absent by telling them that their father lists and that their father's not there because no man should want to build themselves up so much that they want to replace the footsteps of a child's father. You want to walk beside them, even if he's not creating them on his own, but you don't want to replace it. Why? Because there'll be one day that your child will turn to you because they're being challenged for something that they really don't want to be challenged by. And they will turn to you and they will say, you're not my father. And there mm. is nothing more hurtful than mm. for a man who has cared for a child all their lives and done all you can for them to turn to you and say that. But that's your violation, not their violation. And so that's so when I when I talk about that and what I say to people in, in, in this correction, what we should be talking about is father absence, because every child, no matter if they have their children in their lives or don't have them in their life, can suffer from some measure of father absence, which means fatherlessness is real. But fatherless right. is non-existent. That's not a true term. It's, it's, it's what our children are dealing with is the absence of their father, not the right. non-existence of their father. So do with that right. what you will. Um, don't no, change no, no. Name. I appreciate it. I, I appreciate it. I mean, because I think I think we're we're all talking about, and I and I get that, and I think uh, we're all you know. I look at it as 
like you stated before, that father womb. Uh, mm -hmm. And I've heard people like uh, Mark Anthony Neal describe it as father loss, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and that sort of thing. So it's uh, it's this sort of uh, mourning for uh, this uh, space. But certainly uh, when, when I look at, uh, well, uh, from dad cipher, from fatherless to I'm so fatherhood, it's really, uh, really trying to, in a sense, it's uh, helping to change that particular narrative, mm. so to speak. Mm. And it's really saying that, you know, it, and I totally agree with you because some of the things that we use to feel that father absence mm. is, um, or remnants of whether it be from hip hop culture, which, you know, I was a fan on, but it's also certainly like African diaspora studies, especially if you're from the culture and that sort of thing. Um, my spiritual fathers were uh, my, the authors that I read, like Malcolm X, like mm. Jane Baldwin, mm. um, you know, uh, when uh, in uh, also when I look at my spiritual fathers as uh, my professor who really inspired me to go into the field of English, Dr. Brian Carter and Dr. Anand Apalad. And, um, and then, you know, uh, brothers like yourself, like, uh, you know, I'll never forget, like, hearing about the uh, the first fatherhood conference was the one that I had with you in uh, Turner Field. That mm. was the first time. So seeing, you know, that all of you uh, guys, in a sense, uh, pour into that, and I just I take all of those narratives and shake it up, and I look at that represents my spiritual uh, my spiritual father, mm -hmm. um, so to speak. Um, and you know, and, and of course, I had uh, I had experienced father absence, and uh, with my father who, you know, I actually got in contact with later on in my 40s. And, um, you know, but uh, still, I still value the <laughs> my spiritual fathers a little bit more mm -hmm. um, because, uh, you know, it, it, it and, you know, because sometimes uh, certain men don't have the capacity for mm -hmm. it. And my father certainly didn't. So mm -hmm. when I look at that, uh, that whole space, so I certainly hear what you're saying. Uh, I definitely don't want to, you know, perpetuate that. But I, what I'm really looking at is that sort of space. But mm -hmm. when I look at from fatherless to um, so fatherhood, I'm hoping that um, while people uh, engage into what I'm trying to do in terms of content, in terms of program, that they'll realize that those holes uh, happen, uh, can be filled with some of the things that they've already have within the culture so mm -hmm. so i'm hoping to expand on that and you yeah. know talk about that a little bit more so that's dope but i appreciate it and um you know i'll definitely put that in consideration i have to change some <laughs> uh change quite a bit of content but we'll see how that goes <laughs> yeah and so but i think you know you know other than changing you know names which is always you know it is always making sure that people are conscious what that word is saying to some people yeah. like right and so even if you're right. always explaining what it is it's a great teaching moment right and so you don't have right. to like remove it it is that you have to be conscious of what you intend for it to mean and what you want to make sure and ensure that people are resonating with when they hear it right and so right. because you know it's interesting because you i jumped 
over question, but you actually walked into it. Usually when I start my podcast off, my question is, what's your daddy's story? Um, but you already kind of alluded, you know, to what your daddy's story is. And that that and from what I understand and what I've come to learn with all of my guests, no matter who they are, that that daddy story is relevant in who they are today, whether they think or not. Right. Yes, certainly. Um, you know what? I would just uh, like to expand a little bit. Um, first of all, I'm a product of uh, two teenage parents. My father was 17. My mother was 15 when she uh, had me. Uh, my father grew up in, uh, I'm a Midwest kid, so I grew up in St. Louis. So my father, uh, for the most part, was coming of age in a time where, you know, uh, we're just beginning to get the early remnants of uh you know, I guess Nixon and then, uh, I mean, Carter, and then we're going into uh, Reagan. So at the time when I'm growing up, we have deindustrialization that's taking place in St. Louis. So, you know, St. Louis is a big manufacturing city where at least it was in the 80s and 90s. But by the time he was coming of age, those jobs were leaving. So basically, if you didn't have, uh, I mean, if you had just a high school education, you a lot of times you weren't able to provide for your family because those jobs were being outsourced. Those and then we had the influx of crack that was coming into that community and then mass incarceration. Unfortunately for my father, um, because he uh, had limited education, and that sort of thing, he got involved into uh, the drug game quite early. Mm -hmm. And so he uh, got into, uh, you know, selling crack in the communities. And that sort of thing faced a lot of, he was in and out of jail. Um, and he really had a misguided concept of what masculinity was. He really mm -hmm. thought at his, at his time, which was the era of black exploitation and that sort of thing, he thought that procreating, having children was one of the, uh, the, the symbol of manhood. Mm -hmm. And so, and because he grew up fatherless, you know, he looked to the superflies and that sort of thing in the culture and was uh, thinking that that would make it. And he thought that the drug trade, well, these underground economies would do it. And after he got caught up in the system, he found that it was very hard to, you know, make it out because we know that, um, you know, it's very hard for brothers with felonies to go in and if you have to check the box and that sort of thing. Unfortunately, that carried him all the way into the rest of his life because he died um, actually selling drugs at the age of 60. Wow. So, uh, I mean, he was, uh, he, you know, he, he died the way he lived. Wow. So, you know, unfortunately, he was unable to find the power to change his narrative. Mm. So I think that's why, you know, what, what, as an English professor, uh, I got caught, I got really inspired into this thing of fatherhood and narrative because I look at what is what are the narratives that we're telling ourselves? How can we deconstruct the, those narratives? Because if we don't break those down and heal from those stories, then we can never learn how to master them. Mm -hmm. And so 
I look at my father, you know, my biological father as like, you know, a cautionary tale of what happens when one does not master their own fatherhood narrative. Mm. So, yeah. Wow. So what led you to um, do your dissertation on fatherhood narratives um, in hip hop? Well, you know what I would say it was first and foremost, I was going through a divorce uh, while I was working on my PhD. And as I was going through my divorce, I was uh, suddenly found myself in a very negative co-parenting relationship. So, I mean, in, in growing up with the father absence that I had, it uh, traumatized me. And, um, and, and what's funny, I was, uh, as I was doing that, I was teaching in high school in addition to it. And I had a student of mine that oftentimes I would try to tell my story of, you know, I come from the inner city, I had the father absence, but he found it that he found that he couldn't connect to me because I was a quote unquote educator. Mm. And he kept in this particular student would listen to Lil Wayne or all of these <laughs> artists. And I'm like, pretty much they have the same story in which I have, in which uh, you have this uh, situation. We grow up in impoverished, marginalized communities. We uh, have, you know, limited resources and we have learned how to tell our stories and master our narratives. So what happened is student though, um, I wasn't able to get through him and he ended up dying. He was murdered at a party. Wow. And, um, it just made me realize, like, if we, what if I could have connected with him by looking at the narratives that he was listening to with Little Wayne and that sort of thing? What if I could have told a little, could have found those stories and sort of reach him in a way that maybe could have healed some of his father wounds and that sort of thing? So that kind of gave the birth to like uh, fatherhood uh, narratives and hip hop. And when I started thinking about it, I was like, everything that I learned early on, with the exception of uh, my uncles that gave up some bad advice, but, mm -hmm. but other than that, but other than that um, well, except for Uncle Junior. <laughs> but, <laughs> but other than that, other than that um, you know, it was through hip hop that, you know, I learned so much about masculinity and manhood from KRS-One, um, from uh, Public Enemy, from Ice Cube, Tupac. They, when it, I would say Tupac in particular, like when he would do songs like Papa's Song, it just let me know that I wasn't alone in my father absent. And mm -hmm. so it made me feel like, you know, I had somebody that understood. And then when I would listen to Brothers like Ed O.G. and the Bulldogs when he was like, be a father to your child. Right. It just kind of made me just realize like, ah, it's something that was always resonating with me. And then uh, last but not least, you know, when it was like, be a father to your child, then Pete Rock and C.L. Smooth, which was my favorite from the East Coast, man. They, they were, C.L. Smooth was one of the first ones that was a young father that was talking about his experience in raising a kid. And it was just something that resonated with me like, 
it, I don't know. It, it just, it, it touched me. And I just started realizing that all throughout my life, hip hop has been a surrogate father figure. Wow. So that's how it stuck with me. Mm. You know, I wrote a um, article probably like 2011, 2012. Um, and it was called the top 10 hardest hitting fatherhood hip hop lyrics. Um, and what I did is I kind of went through these songs to kind of listen to how hip hop artists were expressing their father absence or father experiences in their music. Um, and, you know, one of the coldest ones, you know, for me um, always is um, Eminem and DMX. Right. And mm. because it, it wasn't so much the lyric itself, but it was the uh, venom to which they spit those lyrics. Like it wasn't mm. like if you listen to the whole song, like for some odd reason, that verse hit a little harder than mm. the other ones. Right. And so right. when, you know, when you're listening to cleaning out my closet, um, and Eminem says, I was a baby, maybe just a couple of months. My effing father must have had his panties up in a bunch because mm -hmm. he split. I wonder if he even kissed me goodbye. No, on second thought, I just wish his blank blah, blah, blah would die. Like when mm -hmm. he spit that lyric, mm -hmm. was like, ooh. And you know, Eminem had a much more dysfunctional relationship with his mother than he did his father. But yeah. when that came out, it was like, whoa, like when you're listening to lyrics, particularly lyrics today, um, mm -hmm. what are the artists where you hear them mention something about their father? Do you hear that same level of like anger? Oh, uh, you know what I hear? Uh, uh, you know, what? first and foremost, I want to say the 80s and 90s hip hop artists had much more venom towards their father. And I think it's because many of them experienced what I experienced when you're, uh, we were growing up in the era of the war against drugs and which was really mass incarceration. So really we had a mass exodus of fathers uh, being locked up in the system. Mm, and that's okay. the thing. So, so mm -hmm. that it was a lot of the heartbreak and that sort of thing. But I want to say in the 2000s, though, I'm very proud of a lot of hip hop artists who have, I feel like since the genre is now turning 50 years old, many brother, uh, many artists have are talking about their fathering experience mm -hmm. and how they are breaking those generational curses. So I want to say it is some venom that steals there. But I would say this generation is a little more complex in the way they look at fathers and they really kind of, it's beginning to develop uh, a sense of understanding. But to, to answer your question, like some of the ones that are still having like uh, some venom to it, I would probably say, you know, um, Isaiah Rashad is one of the, a brother from, uh, from uh, Tennessee mm -hmm. who's down with Kendrick Lamar in uh, uh, Top Dog Entertainment, he definitely talks about the venom of his father being absent and being uh, an alcoholic and how that generational curse of alcoholism uh, impacted him 
as his son and how it led to him actually cutting himself and, you know, wanting to commit suicide. So the the lyrics are uh, definitely, you know, a gut-wrenching. And then, of course, uh, we have heard the history of Drake and his his relationship with his dad, which has been, you know, uh, venomous and off and on. However, I would say one of the things that I really am impressed with this newer generation is they show a deeper understanding of their fathers. Like the one that really stuck out to me the uh, most, it was uh, Fa uh, Father Time by Kendrick Lamar on his latest album, The Big Steppers. He talks about how his father, you know, equated violence, like the inflicting of or socializing his son, Kendrick, a young Kendrick under violence as mm -hmm. a marker of manhood. So for those who, you know, may not know, it's like some brothers like um, will feel like they need to you like punch the child in the chest to make them mm -hmm. home right, right, or right. that sort of thing. And he talked about that sort of brutality as a way that his father was sort of misguided mm -hmm. as to the way that should be and how, you know, not having access to therapy and that sort of thing has led to this sort of message and generational curse passing down. Mm -hmm. So when I listen to him, I listen to J. Cole, I listen to so many of these artists, it seemed like they're beginning to really look at some of the social conditions, the psychological conditions that shaped who their fathers are. So mm. it's really, it's really, really dope, you know, um, which is again, tying into what I do. You know, mm. uh, the, the thing with dad cipher, I'm uh, from fatherless uh, to I'm so fatherhood is it's really talking about one, you know, how do you find direction through your narrative? Mm. The second is like, how do you empower yourself? Well, you empower yourself by really breaking down the family, community, and media narratives. Mm -hmm. And then finally, once you break those down, the third and final step is mastering your own narrative. So mm -hmm. I'm really proud of hip hop in terms of it's really adding more complexity to, I wanna say urban and black fatherhood than I would say in the quote unquote golden era of hip hop in the 80s and 90s. Right. So yeah. Yeah, you know, the crazy thing is, man, I love what you just said about it. you just flipped my mind over and I got to think about this more. And you said today's hip hop artists talk more about fathering than their fatherhood. And you're right, because I'm thinking about social media, right? And so they're always taking pictures with their kids. There's always taking picture. You know, you see, you know, Jay-Z come to the game with Blue Ivy and you see the basketball players at the NBA All-Star. Every player that's got a kid has got their kids on their laps or somewhere in and around you. So the messaging and we don't, you know, often um, associate hip hop with NBA, but they are interlocked in a way that no many other sports aren't interlocked. Hip, hip, um, NBA is hip hop, right? You know, it is right, right. extension of hip hop. So when you see players, you know, doing that on the floor, and now I'm going back and I'm also thinking about some of those lyrics. 
um, about, to your point about, it wasn't, for some of them, it wasn't just the spitting of anger. It's that they were targeting and they were recognizing exactly where the father absence impacted them, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you think about my second favorite one is DMX and slipping, when he says, group homes and institutions prepared my ass for jail, they put me in a situation forcing me to be a man when I was just learning to stand without a helping hand. Damn, was it my fault something I did to make a father leave his first kid at seven doing my first bid? Like, he, it, it, it wasn't, I just hate my father. It was right, right. the connection all the way up from being seven years old to the point that he ended up in a group home. Like he, like he, he recognizes that. And that man, man, you just opened my head up to a whole new kind of thought of consciousness when it comes to, you know, listening not only to hip hop artists and watching NBA players and even watching our society, watching our young folks, right? And how right. they resonate with what fatherlessness looks like in their communities and in their lives. How do you think hip hop is now influencing um, our youth today as it relates to family? You know what? I want to say this. I think hip hop, for the most part, ha most part has made if you are a quote unquote absentee father or irresponsible father, hip hop has made you a social pariah. It's like mm. no one in hip hop <laughs> thinks that it's dope. Like you're not taking care of your kid, because right. um, I mean, when I when I look at it, like when you see Ti, Reverend mm -hmm. Ron, Snoop Dogg, wow. and wow. they actually have shows about fatherhood. They, you know, and then I think about Big Boy and Outkast. You know, uh, when they would break down lyrics about, you know, like don't you uh, like one of my favorite Andre three thousand lyrics. When he said, you know, taking my kid, uh, taking your kids to the park so they won't grow up in the dark and grow <laughs> up like your trifling, you know what? It's like they have made, um, they made, if you are an irresponsible father, you can't be accepted. That is not cool. So I think they have made that uh, really like, I don't, they have changed the face of fatherhood all uh, together. But in terms of family, you know, I would say hip hop has always had a, a, a sort of reverence for uh, motherhood mm. and, and grandparents. Mm -hmm. um, I would say now the relationship that is still in need of work is the relationship to the mother of the child. Like now we do still see artists like Chance the Rapper that has talked and um, you know how he just pays homage to the mother of his child. And of course we have Jay-Z that pays homage. And it's been some other artists that uh, CL Smooth, like I said, from back in the days in the nineties that did that. However, for the most part, there is still a sort of civil war that is uh, still taking place between uh, the mother of the child and that sort of thing. Um, it's a lot of uh, visceral anger. And I think uh, in particular with hip hop, which is bringing some awareness to some issues, the top issue that I see that really has a lot of conflict is 
how do we deal with maternal gatekeeping mm-hmm. and how do we deal with the notion of child support mm-hmm. and and that sort of thing and i think and you know the other thing too i would add in there is domestic violence yes oh yeah domestic mm-hmm. violence for sure right, right, and, right. and uh and i would probably say the emotional intelligence on how to deal with the demise of a romantic relationship. Mm. Those are areas that still need to be worked on. It's uh, it's definitely a lot of poor emotional intelligence when it comes to the breaking of relationships. It's like, uh, I understand the anger, but there is an absence of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. There is a lack of empathy mm-hmm. uh, in the social communication on how do we deal with conflict it's often confrontational and it's really hurtful to because in the grand scheme of things it's hurtful to the child Mm -hmm. so you know and i hear um, and then lastly i want to say hip-hop uh artists definitely i see a lot of love being shown to children but if the one area that's problematic is the relationship with the mother of the child it's, it's just a space that's just, um, you know, it's it's a lot of work to do. I think it's mm-hmm. a lot of that is still stemming from that Monaghan, you know? Yeah, Monaghan. absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it's still uh, stemming mm-hmm. from that, you know, mm-hmm. that Civil War. Right. Uh, by I, the way, I, you I, I, I got to a special shout out to you, though, real quick. What's real that? Super- so uh, in my day job as a professor at Georgia State University Perimeter College, we are covering Monaghan and we're looking at how that changed fatherhood. And one of my students was like, yeah, uh, Dr. Adolph, I found this dope article and it was by uh, Kenneth Braswell about the Monaghan reports. I'm like, word? I'm like, that's not here. <laughs> you know? So I haven't graded her paper yet, so I don't know if she do you any justice, but I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm locked in. I mean, you see how relevant that is in my space because I created a whole research firm around the paper itself. It's crazy because I was on a phone call the other day with the White House, and um, they are creating this thing called the Black Initiative. You saw, I saw you posted something about it, and we're doing this thing on Friday. Um, and on that phone call was like the NAACP, the Urban League, the, all the big boys, national. And it was just like 15, 12 of us on the phone. And I mentioned the Moynihan Institute on the phone, on the, on the line. And then, I, and then I followed up by saying, let me be clear that the naming of our institute has nothing to do with Senator Moynihan, but the report that has become the foundation for all conversation around black families in this. And that is where we want to build this work from. And this sister from the, um, I forgot where she's from the action network. I think she DM'd me in the chat and she goes, thank you so much for explaining why you used it. Because the minute I heard it, I thought, why is he? And then when you said it, she (laughs) said, that makes all the, she says, that is awesome. Taking back our narrative. And I was like, I get it. Like I, I, I get it. You can't dismiss what that report means to our community and you gotta be able to kind of name that. And then I said to her, then I flipped back to her and I said, Oh, and by the way, if I would have called it, by any name of any prominent African-American researcher in the history of our life, you wouldn't pay any attention to me. 
Mm. Mm. Yeah. You yeah, wouldn't see me as relevant in the conversation. You would look at me as just another black dude trying to do something and name it. But I had to name it that in order to open your eyes and listen to what it is I have to say. And as long as I need that, I'm going to have it. If I get 10 years down the road and this thing is big and I got fellows and researchers all over the place, they will have a big, huge ceremony at the 25th anniversary and we'll call it the doctor, you know, adult, you know, <laughs> before, you know blah, blah, blah. We'll call it some dope researchers, you know, and we'll, we'll name it after that. But right now, I need to get your attention. And the only way I get your attention is I put this lightning rod here that allows you to pay attention to who I am. But you said something about um, about this whole notion about how we see um, the mothers of our children, you know, through hip hop. And what always struck me about that, particularly as it relates to Jay-Z, was remember when um, Blue Ivy was born, Jay-Z made the statement that, wow, now that I have a daughter, um, it makes me think differently about calling women the B word, mm -hmm. right? And I heard him and I was like, and everybody was like, oh my goodness, he's coming in, you know, he's coming to, you know, to, you know, he's coming, you know, to, to, to whatever. He finally made it. He's made it. He's like, he's coming around. And I thought to myself, I'm like, wow. I was like, why did you have that epiphany when your daughter was born, but you didn't have that epiphany when you married your wife? Mmm. 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 And I was wondering whether or not that is the evolution of understanding the value of women in our life through our children, particularly our daughters. That's when we get it. And that's an exploration. That's a, probably a whole thesis, a whole you know, research that has to be done. And that is whether or not the real true value of women don't really come to men until we have girls. I, I agree with you. I think we have... Uh... I think we value our mothers and we value our daughters. And I think the reason why maybe we may not value the mothers over a child initially and that sort of thing is because um, in, in many cases in the sphere of romance um, in black love, a lot of black love is still tied into um, stereotypes from that stem from uh slavery and post-slavery conditions i mean when we think about it the black man has always been described uh as uh the stud yeah it was fear of the uh black males organ and that sort of thing um for black women they have been described as the jezebel and and that sort of thing or if she's not jezebel then she's the asexual sort of uh, mammy character and that sort of thing. So what has really has been depicted of black love is on one end within our communities, we see love and reverence for our mom and our daughter, but a lot of how we are seeing our relationships and, and our, you know, romantic relationships is a lot shaped by those institutions. Uh, I mean, those uh, by, basically slave, uh, slave uh, mythology. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that stuff still continues. Uh, one of the things that I would say 
that I think what opens a lot of brothers' eyes when they have a daughter is, I think Nas said it best in the song, Daughters, it's the player's curse. It's like now, you know, I'm realizing that now that I have a daughter, I'm thinking about, I'm sending her out as sheep among the wolves, the wolves mm-hmm. that I was a part of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like now, you know, I have to think about what I'm promoting, what I'm doing. I don't want her to fall in love with someone that may have had the characteristics of misogyny or womanizing that I once had. So it's Mm -hmm. like, now it's like I have to shift from, in many cases, for lack of a better term, I have to shift, shift from predator or conquest mindset to protector. So I think that shift uh, from predator, player, pimp, whatever, to protector is the one that makes you look at womanhood differently. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, I need to protect now. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> right, 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 right. Absolutely. So, so let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. Have you given what what do you what's your thinking and 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 how is this playing out in the hip hop space? the hip hop lyrics of female artists. Mm. And when you listen to the lyrics of Nicki Minaj, Cardi, Cardi B, Megan Thee Stallion, and, 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 and others, it almost sometimes sound like that their lyrics are somewhat in a crazy way, either in support of what male rappers are saying, or they're taking it up a whole other notch from where they're talking about. How is that playing itself out, particularly with our young people when they're trying to distinguish what's right and wrong based on what I'm hearing from a male rapper and then what I'm hearing from a female rapper? Okay, wow, very good question. So yeah, so here's the thing. Um, It's funny, my daughter and I, uh, um, um, my dad's uh, cypher, we had this conversation about WAP. And, you know, it's the song with Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion and that sort of thing. But you know what? It was very interesting. Um, so I, I look at it again, like I said, some of the mythology that comes from uh, the institution of slavery and post-slavery conditions where Black women were looked at as the Jezebel, always sexually wanting and that sort of thing. But when we start looking at since the first African woman stepped foot on American soil, their sexuality has always been in control uh, by the male, whether Mm. it be, you know, the slave master, whether it be uh, even after, uh, you know, slavery ended in, you know, Black males and that sort of thing, like Zora Neale Hurston, talk about the control that, you know, in the, in the church too, like the control of Black female sexuality. What I see when I uh, hear like Cardi B and Nicki Minaj and that sort of thing, I see them in many cases trying to uh, seek control or trying to say, I I have control of my sexuality, and I could see that to a certain extent. However, sometimes I still call that into question when sometimes some of these artists uh, have males that write their lyrics for them. 
Wow. And okay. so it steals some of the male fantasy, with the exception of Megan, because I'm pretty, uh, I've heard Megan really put 100% in her lyrics and that sort of thing. And we know that she has complex and she's talking, uh, her lyrics sometimes doesn't match up with what she has done outside, which I think is amazing what she talks about, how the black woman is not protected. So I think some, in particular, when me and my daughter analyzed the song Web, what we looked at is, first of all, we're looking at these women in the video, they seem like they own their own home. Mm -hmm. And then I looked at the snake image that was really rever uh, looking at uh, the Garden of Eden. And here is something that they did that I thought was very smart and profound. They show them around the snake and that sort of thing. And if the snake is supposed to, I mean, if woman is supposed to represent the fall of man, mm -hmm. it seemed like they're using the snake to say, I'm going to reverse this and take this power back. And they mm -hmm. use that with the image of the snakes that was in the background. And so I was like, they're, they're doing something. So, to answer your, your question, it seemed like to me the positives out of WAP is you do see women that are lyrical, they uh, they have their entrepreneurs and they're taking control of their sexuality. What you find, what I find problematic is if they ha are playing into male fantasies by repeating some of the lyrics from male artists that has been written and maybe even promoting themselves solely ba uh, based on male management that say you need to do that. Wow. So it seemed like it, it's it's complex. It's you know, and I, what I'm hoping for with with female artists, uh, I'm really hoping for a resurgence of people more like um, Rhapsody or more like Lauren Hill and that sort of thing. Rhapsody is such a great artist and um, she really shows a different side of black womanhood and that sort of thing that is amazing and she doesn't get as many spins mm -hmm. as the Megan and that sort of thing. And I think that's that's my issue with hip hop today. I'm, I'm, miss, I'm missing the buffet of variety that we used to have. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Because, you know, at the end of the day, it is an art. Right. And so as we kind of wind down, I do want to bring your attention to one more thing I want to get your opinion on since we're in this space of hip hop and imagery and dads and black men and babies. So the Vogue cover. Okay. Rihanna, ASAP. And <laughs> how people have interpreted that cover. Like, what's your interpretation of that cover? <laughs> I interpreted it. Hey, that brother is getting paid, so let that brother. <laughs> you know what? Here's the thing, man. Uh, you know, you know, I can see why some men uh, may be alarmed by that because it looks like she's leading the way in that sort of thing. But let's look at the stereotypes that we've looked at and what has defined maleness. 
When we look at, in particular, going back to the Monaghan, what has been described as manhood has been the ability to be a breadwinner. Mm. Rihanna is a breadwinner and more so. <laughs> she the than, whole loaf winner. She the whole factory, <laughs> she the whole bread factory winner. <laughs> exactly. She makes me hate myself. I'm like, I got a PhD. I should have dropped out of school. Like, she, I'm like, she dropped out of high school. I mean, she dropped out of high school and she's a millionaire. It's wrong. Right. But, but anyway, you know, I saw. I see her leading the way and I, you know, and I can see why it's because I think when we talk about black male uh, masculinity, it has always been in a fra uh, fragile state in America. But that's more than just that image from Vogue. That comes from our history in America that we have, uh, because in a way, our sexuality and who we are has been uh, under white male surveillance uh, just like black women so I could see the anger in some of that but I would say I would challenge the, uh, some of the males that are really upset with that image and I want to say I wonder what was their take on Snoop Dogg when he brought those uh, young women out on I forgot it was like MTV or something where he brought the mm -hmm. women out on dog collars mm -hmm, and that mm -hmm. sort of thing I'm like so, you know, where is the outrage on that? Where is the black outrage? I mean, where is our outrage when we talk about women, especially women of color, making 63 cents to the dollar, you know, that males make? Where is the outrage when we see, you know, our, our women being hurt, um, you know, with police brutality or, and, you know, and how many people turned their back on Megan Thee Stallion with this, um, with uh, what's the tray? Uh, what's what is that? Oh, uh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Uh, my goodness, yeah, uh, the one that the guy who's the, you're talking about, the one who shot the girl in the foot, that, yeah, that yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, okay. it's so we have people like 50 Cent like, that were saying now he has since apologized, but he was like, Oh, I didn't really believe it's real. I'm like, What, you know, so when I see that. Yeah, I can see why, you know, certain men would be fragile, but but I think if we look at, um, if we're going to socialize ourselves in Americanism, and Americanism says that when, whoever has the dollar has the power. Why is it any different when we see a woman walk in front? She's a billionaire. I'll tell you what. I would be. I would trade places with ASAP uh, and walk behind for a billion. Hey, drop me some of that fancy money. <laughs> yeah, I thought the same thing. I was like, shoot, one and a half, whatever her number is. She's closing in on two billion. Yeah, I'm gonna hold your hand. Lead me, babe, wherever we going. Let me let me know where we go. I hold the baby. I ain't got no problem with that. You carry right. the bag. I hold the baby. Right, and why so, is that a problem? At least that uh, some men should be happy because at least that's changing the image of black fatherhood. Right, being right. A why is that a problem? Right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, it's just interesting what people kind of go after um, today. You know, on another note, and I know you got to get out of here because you said you needed to leave. And but it's just so many of these images out there that are so relevant as it relates to fatherhood and primarily because of social media. There's just so much stuff out there. Right. And so I saw a meme the other day or a post the other day by Chris Brown 
um, who just did a song with an artist. I can't remember the artist's name now. She starts with an S, but she kind of leaked out that she did a collaboration with Chris Brown. And the, and social media has been going crazy on her about collaborating with Chris Brown. And he did a post and said, um, it's been 17 years or something since I made my mistake. You know, for those of you who can't let me live beyond my mistake, kiss my entire, you know, he kind of went after him. And I thought for a second, I was like, man, it's like, it's crazy how we hold people to their mistakes. Like to your point, Rihanna has, you know, Rihanna has said, I'm going, I'm, I'm past this. Like, I'm, you know, I'm gone. I'm, I'm, I got, I'm a billionaire now. I got my own thing happening. Chris Brown was a young love thing that happened back then. And unfortunately, you know, what happened happened and we dealt with it and we're gone. But his point is like, damn, I'm trying to do everything that I'm supposed to do, you know, to rectify that bad decision that I make and that mistake. And so much so, if you remember, Doc, and I remember this very distinctly, and I always bring this up, and it's something that we don't take into consideration when we're talking about boys who were um, in violent homes where domestic violence was 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 present. And I don't know if you remember um, his mother going on um, uh, Larry King's show. And his mother went on Larry King's show when she was talking about it and she says, tell me, and he said, tell me about your household. And and she told the story. She says, Chris has been around domestic violence all of his life perpetrated on me by his father. That's all he's ever seen. That's all he's ever seen in his house. And I thought to myself, my God, this is, this kid was conditioned to your point about how um, men from back in the day um, watch black exploitation movies to figure out what manhood meant to them and what it looked like. Here was those black exploitation movies playing themselves out in real life in his home, right? And he then he goes out and he does what he did and it has impacted his entire career. And I'm like, you know, as black people, and I'm hoping that this is something that the younger generation will find their way around with some deeper understanding on what is relevant um, punishment for a crime or for an immoral act or for a mistake or for whatever we might want to call it. I think about Brittany, um, what's the name, from the WNBA that goes to Russia. She gets caught with whatever and they lock her up and people are like, well, she shouldn't have been over there doing it. You know what? Yeah, she probably should not have done that. But even so, what she, the way she's being punished has absolutely nothing to do with what she's being punished for. It's because of the nature of the relationship between two countries and them using her to make a point, a political point about something that has absolutely nothing to do with her. And so I'm really hoping that this younger generation finds a way to really find redemption, right? In people that make mistakes um, and understand exactly who they are um, hold them accountable for the mistake, but not define them by the mistake. And so I, I'm hoping that the next evolution of hip hop artists will understand that a little deeper. 
I, I think so. I think so. I think a lot of the newer artists are beginning to, like I said, I see the complexities of fatherhood. Fatherhood, at first, hip-hop used to describe fathers with the three A's. They were abandoners, abusers, uh, abandoners, abusers, and... Um, <laughs> Probably uh, adult, uh, adulterers. Adulterers. And, and addicts. Oh, it wow. was those. It was abandoners, abusers, and, and addicts. Okay. Nowadays, I see it as more complex now, and they're beginning to see redemption. Like one of the uh, dopest songs from Jay Z was "Daddy Dearest," and in in particular, he talked about you know his father having that uh, his drug addiction mm. and how that may have shaped his fatherhood and how he just hopes he doesn't pass on curses. The whole thing is this. One, it's an old adage that what you were saying remind me of. Every saint has a past. Every sinner has a future. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, when we talk about, you know, the black people in general, forget hip hop, we have always been judged by a harsher, you know, sort of way. We don't really have redemption stories that would, I mean, Michael Vick is still paying for, mm -hmm. you know, what he did in, you know, but we can look back in uh, historically throughout history and we can forgive George Washington. And Shoot, he had we, listen, we, we, voted, <laughs> we, we, we voted a whole president in. Right, right. <laughs> you know that you know grabber by you know what, but you know. So it, it, it so my thing is, I think we have to seek. Uh, I would say we have to seek redemption for ourselves. I hate what you know that that happened with uh, Chris Brown and that sort of thing. But I would say, you know what? Let's think about. If, have we really investigated to see if he has done some sort of restorative justice? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, and, and, and you can never make up, but I would say restorative uh, justice is great. When my kids would do like insane things, like my son, uh, Quick Story, did a bomb threat. He was joking with his friends on a football group me about uh, somebody bringing a bomb to the school. He got mm. kicked, uh, he got expelled for half the semester. Mm. I made it a point that he did some restorative justice. So I took him to the school and I arranged for my son and I to, uh, to discuss how we as fathers and parents in general need to protect, uh, monitor our kids' social media and how we need to protect them you know, in that space. So while my son made a grave mistake, I, I think that lesson of restorative justice, of putting your, uh, taking ownership and trying to change and right the wrong is something that we need to tr uh, teach our kids more. Wow, wow. Man, I didn't know that. That's a whole nother podcast, bro. We gotta, that's a, let's, let's, let's do that one too. Listen, tell people, <laughs> Tell people where they can um, listen to and watch that cipher. Give them all of your contact information so we can stay in touch with your incredible work. Uh, so, Adobe, first and foremost, I want to say, 
First of all, make sure that y'all put something in the comments with this right. podcast here. <laughs> I need some comments. <laughs> this is a dope show. Support this show. Right. So, uh, but other than that, I want to say uh, I'm Dad uh, Dad Cipher, Dr. J L Adolf. Uh, if you are in need of English education, you can find me at Georgia State uh, Perimeter College. I'm in the Decatur, where it's greater area. So <laughs> look me up there. I'm also on all social media platforms under Dad Cipher from Fatherless or changing it to Father Absent to I'm So Fatherhood. <laughs> um, um, you can find me on TikTok and all of that. But really, uh, I'm looking for uh, men who are have father absent experience. Uh, please hit me up in the DMs. I would love to help you to change your narrative and get you prepared for that mental health journey that it will take to break those generational curses. And I certainly use hip hop and African diaspora uh, content. So you're going to get something that's culturally relevant that's going to stick, that's going to speak to you as a as a man of color. And I want to say continue to support. I am Dad podcast and hit the and make sure y'all hit up the comments, click and subscribe and do at least do a thumbs up, man. So I can do that. Um, yeah, <laughs> leave a donation, leave some something. Exactly. Leave some, leave, put something in the plate. And so yeah, it's call and response, black people. Absolutely, y'all know the deal. Uh, <laughs> puff, puff, pass. Puff, puff, pass. <laughs> Whatever works for you. Make it happen. Make it happen. <laughs> Listen, Dr. Ahoff, it's been a pleasure, man. And I got, you just dropped a couple of things on me that I know I'm going to pull you back on at some com at some point. Um, and I forgot about the whole, that's a whole nother conversation, infused in this conversation with respect to the African diaspora and how we have this conversation around fatherhood through the lens of who we are, who we are and where we come from historically, right? We have not had that conversation about what it looks like. In fact, I'm actually going to Africa in about five, four weeks. Um, oh, for my, going to Ghana again for my fourth time. And then in the end of the summer, um, possibly going to Kenya um, for another project with uh, Kwame Alexander, who just wrote a book called um, Fathers Cry at Night. And so we're actually doing a documentary and they're going to be shooting it in Africa. And so they asked me to come over and be a consultant, um, a producer, a consultant so on the film in Kenya. So I'm hoping that that happens because that's one of my bucket list places that I want to go. And so I want to thank each and every last one of you for listening to I Am Dad podcast. Um, uh, listen, comments, whatever. Let me know what you're thinking. Um, continue to DM me. Continue to do that. Continue to text me. For those who know me, continue to email me. Uh, people always ask, how do I get in touch with you? Like the young people say, Google me. Um, when you Google me, you'll find me. I'm all over the place. I ain't hiding. And so, but until next Sunday, thank you so much. God bless you and have a great week. Thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us. You've been listening to I Am Dad Podcast. We hope that you have been informed, encouraged you to think, or even inspired your heart for the love of dads. The conversation does not end here. Come back and join us next week. Same time, same place. Or you can continue the dialogue on our I Am Dad Facebook page. We also invite you to listen to past episodes, learn more about us, and keep up with special activities by visiting IamDadPodcast.com. That's IamDadPodcast.com. Until next time. I leave you with this reminder of manhood. 
from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Because of this reminder, I will always understand that I am dad, period. <laughs>